Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the town of Willimantic, Connecticut, the birthplace of your pal Sully. That's right. I'm sitting here in Willimantic, enjoying a little something to drink, and I'm on my sentimental journey, and part of my sentimental journey has taken me here, my place of birth, Willimantic, Connecticut. I was born in a hospital here. My parents took me to the town of Mansfield Center, Connecticut, which was my first home, where I was a little baby, wrapped, swaddled in cloth, and on the day that your pal Sully was born here in Willimantic, Connecticut, Willie Mays, Willie Mays was playing when I was born. Willie Mays, my father's favorite player, hit a home run against the Giants. He had been recently traded back to New York to finish up his career as a member of the New York Mets. And Willie Mays indeed homered on May 14, 1972, the same day that your pal Sully was introduced to the world. 1972, a subject that I'm currently writing about in my book project that is slogging along as I'm finding little pockets of time to work on it when I'm not working on this podcast and the other podcasts I produce, Real Crime Profile, and my master's degree and my full-time job and being a husband, being a father, and every once in a while, I don't know, doing something like this sentimental journey, I write about 1972 and the significance of 1972 in terms of baseball, in terms of culture, in terms of how it brought about the modern game and it brought about your pal Sully. Let me tell you something. If you were to write the, you know, the, the, the beginning and ends of my life. I don't know when the end of my life. Hopefully it will be a significant amount of time after this podcast. But when you write, like, you know, place of birth, place of death, those are your bookends. When were you born? When did you die? And sometimes it reflects a little bit of who you are. Your birthplace, this is your, your place of birth. And that is a significance. It's a, it's a part of your identity. I'm a native of Connecticut. My kids are natives of New York. Where you were born is, you know, that's, that, was, that should be a place of significance in everyone's life. Let me tell you something about my relationship with Willimantic. It's a dot on the map. I don't have any emotional ties to anything, including the hospital of which I was born, to Willimantic, Connecticut. Nothing. I have no memory of living here. It's a little, it's not, it's a little bit off the beaten path trying to drive up to Massachusetts. You got to drive through stores in Toland and cut around here, and I kind of got a little bit lost. At one point, Siri was going, turn left at this street, turn left at that street. Sully, where are you going? And here I landed here at Willimantic. Time to sit down, 
grab a quick drink and stare out at a town that means nothing to me. And a baseball thought kicked into my brain because we think about things like where you were born, that you're a native of this world, because you assume when you come out of the womb, that's your hometown. There's, a, there's a, sort of an American sense of that's, your, that's where you were born and that that's where you'll grow up. And there's a bunch of people where that's the case. To me, that's a totally foreign concept. I was born in a place that means nothing to me. I don't know if it means nothing to me, but it's like, it's like oh, look at that, Willimantic, that's where I was born. Mansfield Center, that's where they brought me as a little baby. Yep, there it is. I'm kind of like Clark Griswold looking at the Grand Canyon in vacation, where I kind of bop my head. Yep, yep. Okay, let's get back in the car. I have so much more emotion attached to the suburbs of Boston, to Bridgeport, Connecticut, to Fairfield, Connecticut, to New York City, to Geneva, Switzerland, where my family lived for a couple of years, to Palo Alto, which is just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. So much more emotion attached to uh, South Pasadena, California. Hell, I have more attachment to Pullman, Washington than I do to the place of birth. And yet, when I go, one of the things that they will list is born May 14, 1972, Willimantic, Connecticut. Native of Willimantic, Connecticut. I will be, a, if I become more successful, I will be a famous son of Willimantic. But you know what? Where you're born sometimes doesn't mean piddly-poo even about your identity. Who's more Boston than Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck is so Boston that I believe if he donated blood, his blood type would be chowder. And where was Ben Affleck born? Berkeley. Berkeley, California. Ricky Henderson is Oakland. Now, granted, he played for 7,000 teams, but he went to Oakland uh, Technical High School, played in his, uh, I got his, I actually went to uh, baseballreference.com, single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, and of his 25 seasons in the bigs, 14 of them, more than half of them were spent as a member of the Oakland Athletics, and he had several tours of duty with the Oakland A's. Where was he born? Chicago. Who is more Texas? than Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens, native of Dayton, Ohio. Sometimes where you're born doesn't mean piddly poop. You know, Superman is a native of Krypton. But I think deep down he's a Smallville boy who's adapted to Metropolis. You know, people move. People move. I'm going to probably look at, I'm living in California now. I probably have at least one more colossal move left in me. I'm not sure I have it in my energy to do it this year. I'm not talking about moving within the same town. I'm talking about like a big sort of like, okay, I'm now living in, I don't know, Idaho. I think it's one more of them in me. But what I started to think about, it's funny, I was thinking about this when I was looking at Willimantic. And there is a term that you can sometimes hear being bandied about when people refer to players. You hear this with Alex Rodriguez and the Yankees a ton. Is, is he a true Yankee? Is he a true this? Is he a true that? 
and that sense of identity is he is he a real member of this franchise? Uh, that crap I heard all the time with Alex Rodriguez with the Yankees, and you've heard it with other players who are kind of interlopers with the Yankees. The Yankees seem really big on this, but you know Red Sox fans do that too. They'll throw a player under the bus. He's not a real Red Sox. He's not a real Red Sox, of which is a, I find kind of a bewildering statement, because what does that mean? What does that mean to be a real member of the franchise? I mean, like, is there a more beloved member of the Red Sox than Dave Roberts and what he did in 2004? Forget about never having to buy another drink at Boston. Hell, they'll, they'll make him the mayor of a town. He played for the Red Sox for two months. Two months. Think of all the players who play on the 2013 Red Sox who were just there quickly. I mean, how fast was, you know, Shane Victorino gone? Johnny Gomes was only there a year and a half. And yet he, in many ways, represented that sort of, you know, completely face-first, joyful attitude that the Boston Red Sox had in that year when they won the World Series in 2013. You think about players on the Yankees who are true Yankees, who all came from other teams, whether it's David Cohn or Paul O'Neill. Those are real Yankees, aren't they? Wasn't David Wells a real Yankee? Wasn't, you know, when you go to the Bronx Zoo, I mean, are we, what are we, I mean, the, the debate about, you know, Reggie Jackson versus Thurman Munson is, you know, who was a, you know, Munson was a real Yankee. Well, you know, Jackson delivered the championships. And were players like Chambliss and players like Nettles who all came over from other teams, Lou Pinella, Willie Randolph, all came from other teams. It's not where you come from. It's not where you started. It's what you do and what that place means emotionally to you. I think about some players who are Hall of Famers who... You know, are they a true member? You know, the whole idea of a homegrown player. We, as baseball fans, seem to attach a lot of emotion to homegrown players because they feel like they're not someone poached from another team. They're someone who came up through the system, came from the beginning, was, was you know, farmed, grown, raised, trained to be a star on your team and he makes it all the way up and leads. And for some reason, we attach more emotion to those types of players. We attach more love for those kind of players in so many ways. And it's kind of strange. It's very strange because a lot of times the most beloved players on certain teams were poached from other organizations. Look at the, 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 the love fest that is going on, much to the consternation of many Yankee fans, that is going on for David Ortiz right now. The Red Sox got him from the Twins. And the Twins got him from the Mariners. He was a Mariner farmhand. And, you know, the, the Red Sox retired Pedro Martinez's number after his election to the Hall of Fame. Well, he was poached from the Expos, who was poached him from the Dodgers. In fact, you take a look at the three players. Well, actually, no, it was. I keep thinking there, there was there were uh, John Smoltz, 
was poached from the Tigers. And I, and I, I conflated BGO and Bagwell. Bagwell was poached from the Red Sox. I was about to say BGO, but it was Bagwell. Forgive me. Those B players from Houston sometimes blur in my head. You know, you take a look at Babe Ruth. He was poached from the Red Sox, or maybe you hadn't heard. And other players who were, were acquired from minor league teams, like Christy Mathewson, one of the great players, one of the great legends of the early days of baseball, began his career in the Cincinnati Reds organization. You know, Carl Hubble, another great giant, started his career in the Tiger organization. Roberto Clemente, is there a more beloved Pittsburgh Pirate in the history of their franchise than Roberto Clemente. And he began in the Dodger organization. What is it about homegrown? What is it about the emotion that we attach to a player? Say, oh, well, there are a bunch of homegrown players. You heard that throughout the whole, I hate to say the core four, because the, the, the concept of calling it the core four with the Yankees completely belittles, completely diminishes the incredibly important role that Bernie Williams played in the maturation of the Yankees to a championship team. In fact, you could argue that Bernie Williams, in the, for the first few championships, was a more critical part than Derek Jeter. So, but in that Yankee homegrown core that they had, which was not just Jeter, Bernie Williams, Pesetta, uh, uh, Pettit, I just conflated Pesetta and Pettit. They, I brundle-flied them into Pesetta uh, <laughs> and, and Rivera, but also the Mendozas and the Leiritzes and the Gerald Williamses and, and, and some of the other players and the Bowringers who came up and contributed to the championship. And you kept hearing one of the, the, the defenses, of the, the Ricky Ledays and the Shane Spencers and all those types of players who came up and were big big you know, contributors, and eventually Robinson Cano, you heard that Yankee fans saying, hey, hey, these were homegrown players. They didn't just poach them, they're homegrown. Of course, forgetting completely the fact that they were able to keep them long-term, and none of them gave them a hometown discount or anything like that. They, they, you know, they used the great wealth to keep them together, but it almost acted as if the idea that the Yankees' money didn't play as big a part as people made it out to be because they were homegrown, because they came up to the farm system, because they were developed, because they were real Yankees. And perhaps that's the thing that got so many Yankee fans to dislike Rodriguez. It's bewildering, but to dislike Rodriguez and also be unhappy with Jason Giambi in that they were the stereotype of what people thought the Yankees did all the time. Of course, why they gave... Um, Rodriguez and Giambi crap, but they didn't give Messina that crap. They didn't give O'Neill that crap. They didn't give Cone that crap. You know, critical players to those championships. Yes, yes, I know the people about the right. They didn't win a World Series title with Messina. I'm aware of that. It's one of the things that made people really, really love Don Mattingly. He was homegrown. He was a real Yankee. He came up through the system. It's one of the reasons why you look at some of the players from the 1986 Mets team are still so beloved because they were part of the farm system that brought them up. Whether it was Strawberry, whether it was Gooden, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, Lenny Dykstra. Of course, they picked up, you know, 
But where does that leave a player like Ron Darling, who was a minor leaguer who was acquired, or Sid Fernandez? I don't know. It's strange that how much we value that. In the Bay Area, where I'm spending most of my time right now, the Giants have put together one of the great runs in recent history. And many of their postseason heroes, including the departed uh, Sandoval and Lincecum, but also Kane, Baumgartner, um, the departed Brian Wilson, Buster Posey, uh, you know, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Joe Panic. how many of them have come up and have been products of their farm system? That they started here, that we value that. Is it because that we love the hometown feel? We like the idea of someone being born in one place and living their whole life that? Is it that we like to think that we respect a player who has always been in an organization instead of someone swiped from someone else, that that may feel like cheating? When that's actually part of the game and part of how you put a club together? I'm interested and I'd like to have someone respond to that as I'm here in the place of my origin. I'm a product of the Mansfield Center, Willimantic, Connecticut farm system. This is where I was drafted. But pretty soon, I bounced all over the place. I don't have one of those clean backs of my baseball card like uh, uh, Tony Gwynn or Cal Ripken or Kirby Puckett where it's, or Jeter, where it's one damn team from beginning to end. No. Mine is all over the map. I've got that Roberto Alomar type of career where it's a few years here, a few years there, a few years there, like not one place. Gary Sheffield all over the damn map. Two years here, three years there. I'm I'm everywhere. And in a sense, where you assign your emotion, where you assign how you think of someone, is usually not based upon where they spent the most time or where they got started, but where they made their big achievements. Look at Jack Morris, for example. I know the Sabermetrics crowd hate bringing up Jack Morris. But when you show the clips and highlights, was his greatest moment was in Minnesota. The 10-inning, Game 7 shutout to clinch the World Series. He only was there for one year. I mentioned... Dave Roberts, only there for one year. Aaron Boone, a Yankee for less than one year. You look at some of these players who have came in, contributed, and then said, to Deloo, the entire 1997 world champion Florida Marlins seemed to be there for about 45 minutes, long enough to pick up their ring and say adios. And yet, for many of them, that's where their greatest highlight and their greatest moment will ever be. So, before we put too much stock in identity of where you get started, or put too much of your love and emphasis on the homegrown players, of which I'm guilty too, when I see this Red Sox team that's being put together, I love the fact that there's the Bogarts and the Bradley Juniors and the Mookie Betts's. And I say, yeah, they come up through the farm. But in the end, who cares? My favorite, two favorite teams in the history of the Red Sox 
were the 2004 and 2013 world champions. And those were teams filled with mercenaries. In the end, it's what you do where you do it. You know, if something happened to me when I was in West Virginia, when I first started doing this podcast in 2012, my, the, my obituary would have read, born 1972 in Willimantic, Connecticut, died 2012 in West Virginia. And anyone casually looking at that would say, man, nice Connecticut boy, maybe spent a good deal of time in the Ozarks. And it doesn't tell your full story. You look at Pedro Martinez. He began his career as a Dodger, and he finished it as a Philly. Is that how anyone remembers him? Instead, it's not where you start. It's not where you end. It's where you do the bulk and the substance of your life. And for me, besides drinking this ginger ale right now, it sure as hell ain't Willimantic, Connecticut. It's a place that means something to me intellectually and with a certain amount of curiosity, but without a lot of emotion. So check out MLBReports.com for the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. From the place of my birth, but not a place that can really hold my attention, Willimantic, Connecticut. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan, continuing my sentimental journey, and no matter where I end up, you can always call me Sully.